Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Would you turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Galatians and chapter one? And we're going to start a new series um, tonight that we're going to, it's going to take us through quite a significant part of the summer. And we're going to take a look at what Paul has to say, not to a single church, but to a whole region about freedom, about freedom. And uh, it's, it's, it's really significant that we're dealing with this issue because you may have noticed, I'm sure you have because you're smart people, um, that we live in an age that is obsessed with freedom. It's obsessed with personal freedom. I want to be free to do what I want any old time. I want to be free to be me. I want to be free to not be restricted by anyone else's agenda. I don't want to be controlled by anybody or told by anybody what I'm going to do. We, we le- even live in a society where products are, are sold often uh, by the concept of freedom. So you buy a car because it's going to get you places and it's going to make you free. You buy hair coloring apparently because it's going to give you freedom to be who you want. To, not that I ever bought hair coloring ever or ever will. Mm, never say never. But um, you know, this, this thing called freedom is significant and really important for us. There's, there's an awful lot of talk and passion about freedom in this nation. Go to Murrayfield, they sing about it. Hollywood, they talk about it. And essential, we pray about it. But if we're incredibly candid about it, actually, there's not an awful lot of freedom around. Not real freedom. Not real freedom to be who God called us to be when we deal with our relationships, when we deal with our money, when we make significant decisions. There's a whole lot of questions around freedom. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about freedom from a very different perspective, from God's perspective and from this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to this region in Galatia. And what you're going to discover is this is Paul's most passionate and vigorous letter. I mean, he's kind of at his most visceral, at his most annoyed at times. He, he, he gets frustrated at times. And it's like, it's like Romans is his kind of well-thought-out theological analysis of what's going on in the world. But when, when he gets to Galatians, he's dealing with this significant issue of why people do not have the freedom they're created to have. And he just gets really annoyed about the thing because this is really, really important for him. He wants us to have freedom. And he's writing to this region. You can read about the, the, the region that he's writing to uh, in Acts chapter 13 and 14 um, because that's where Paul goes on a missionary journey and he plants all these churches and then he discovers they've got some issues and so he writes this letter. I think it's really significant and important for us because it's actually the region of our ancestors. Galatia was uh, inhabited by uh, Celtic tribes who later dispersed to the edges of Europe, to northern France, to Cornwall, to Wales, to Ireland, and then on to Scotland. So effectively, the stuff that these people are dealing with, this this is a letter written to those who share some of the same genes that we share, the same roots, some of the same traits, some of the same predispositions. And what he wants to get at is this enigmatic thing 
called freedom or liberty in Christ? What would it mean for you to be totally free to be who God made you to be and do what God made you to do? What would that look like? Could you really soar? Could you really fly? And it's interesting that Paul is going to do this against the backdrop of restrictive religion. Isn't that interesting? So Paul is going to talk about freedom against the backdrop of this religious spirit that is coming in and attacking these new believers in Galatia. He writes this letter probably from the city of Corinth, and we're not quite exactly sure what's going on, but clearly something has happened, and and, and some people that he calls Judaizers, or wolves in sheep's clothing, have come down from Jerusalem, and they're teaching what Paul describes as an alien gospel. It's not totally wrong, it just misses the main point. And and what they seem to be doing is they're, they're going to these fresh new believers, these fresh new Christians who've come to faith in Jesus Christ and are passionate about Jesus, and then they're saying, well, that's okay, that's good, I'm glad that you got saved and I'm glad you've got Jesus, but now that you've got Jesus, you also need to take on all the Jewish practices, you need to get circumcised, you need to become more Jewish than Moses, and, and you need to have all the rituals and all the, all the laws and all the regulations, and it's going to be good for you. And Paul gets really, really hacked off. Are you seriously trying Are you seriously trying to take the life-freeing message of Jesus and then make it all about rules and regulations? Are you seriously trying to take the message of Jesus which frees us, which gives us life, and then shackle it to an age-old tradition that never quite worked? Is that what you're trying to do? Because if you're trying to do that, be damned, he says. If you are trying to take the grace of Jesus Christ and then stick it in a compartment called law, rules and regulations and judgments, then be damned because it's no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where he gets at his most aggressive and his most angry. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not, Not for stuckness. It was life in all its fullness that Christ came to accomplish. Not not life in all its partness or boringness or dullness or restrictedness or rules or regulations or structures or courses or... It was for life and for freedom. Look, let's just be straight about this. I guess we all know people in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our friendship groups who just don't get grace, who don't get that God loves us because he loves us, because he loves us, who don't understand the unmerited favor of God in our direction, and that's sad. But, but, but equally sad is believers who got grace but don't get grace. It's people who have accepted Jesus and come into grace. And in the moment they get into a relationship with God by grace, they begin to live the rest of their Christian life by law and by rule and by strive and by drive and by make it happen, by, by works. Who want the experience of grace but make the rest of their life about law and worse still. 
who want to inflict their suffocating philosophies on other people. Who want to to inflict their suffocating philosophies on other people. It's called the spirit of religion. And, And Paul gets mad. And that's just the intro. And now we better read the Bible. So Galatians chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. We're just going to read five verses and then teach two five verses and, and then we're done. Okay? It's going to take a long time, but then we'll be done. Galatians 5 verse 1. Paul, an apostle. And that word means a sent one or the sent one. Sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Let's ask God to speak to our hearts and change some stuff. So, um, Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, Holy Spirit of Jesus, God at hand, would you come and illuminate these words for us? Make them come alive so that we would not only be hearers of your word, but we will be doers of your word. Teach us about grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. So eyes down, let's get our Bibles out. And if you have a notebook, you might want to take notes because this is going to be, uh, at, at times today, complex. And you're going to want to come back to some of the stuff that we, uh, we deal with. Um, and so Paul says, this is grace and this is the gospel. The gospel is grace. Gra- grace is not just one of the most important concepts of our faith. It is the most important concept of our faith. It's, it's like the USP of Christianity. It's, it's God's unmerited favor. You did not deserve it. You did nothing for it. Poured out upon you. It's his undeserved love gift to you. We owe everything to grace. We're called by grace. We enter by grace. We're forgiven by grace. We're restored by grace. We're freed by grace. Nothing we ever did could earn the love of God. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to stop God loving you. It's grace. God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. So you are not a self-made person. You have no righteousness of your own. We stand and sit and hang around here because of grace. I am forgiven because of grace. Nothing I have done. And Paul reminds his his readers at the very outset the the kind of root and foundation of this grace. And he, he talks about three characteristics of God. He says, God is a father 
verse 1. He says in verse 3 that the Lord Jesus is Lord. So God is Father and God is Lord. And then he says back in verse 1, and God is alive. God raised him from the dead. God is Father, God is Lord, and God is alive. Grace for me is that God is my Father, that God is my Dad, that the prime mover in the universe, the creative genius, the supreme being who should not be aware of me in any way, shape, or form, not interested in me, not concerned for me, is my Dad. And he sets his heart on me. He loves me. That's grace. Grace for me is that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is right now active head over all things, that there is a throne and he sits on the throne, and that everything that happens in this world, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the stuff that we don't understand and we'll never understand, and we're going to get to heaven and we're going to say, why God? He is actually consciously Lord of all those things now, which means this, there is nothing coming down the road at you that is news to him. Nothing. He permissions it, he allows it, he is Lord. All governments, all authorities, all scientific discoveries, all diseases, he is Lord over all those things. That's grace to me. And he is alive. God the Father raised him from the dead. A dead man walked, which means there is no tomb that they're ever going to discover in Jerusalem at any stage with the bones of Jesus in it because a dead man walked. And he said he would walk, he walked. He, he rose from the dead and he's alive and he's active and he's imminent amongst us. He speaks to me and he walks alongside me and he lives in me. And he's at hand for me. It's just grace. It's an incredible, incredible thing. It's nuts that the God of the universe is available to me. And, and, and says Paul, this grace gives me peace with God. Look at verse one. What does that mean? Peace with God. Well, it, it doesn't mean some kind of superficial and temporary peace. It's not the absence of strife or conflict or struggle, but it's the presence of a person who elsewhere in Scripture is described as the Prince of Peace. Peace with God. Peace in the conflict. Peace in the trial. Right balance with God. Righteous Yes, to the, to the Jews, they'd have understood the concept of shalom, universal flourishing, the peace of God and peace with God. It comes through grace. This grace says that he who owes me nothing gives me everything. That's grace. That's grace. And Paul is mad. He's mad because these guys have come in and they've said, yeah, 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 you've received grace and now you have to live as if you haven't received grace. You've received grace and now you have to do the Jewish thing, you have to do the circumcision thing, you have to obey the law thing, you have to do the ceremony thing and you have to do this plus this plus this. You've got Christ but you need to add all these other things to Christ and, and he's mad because he knows how precious grace is and he knows what they're doing to grace. You know, I, I, I see that all the time. 
in churches with, with followers of Jesus. Religion that binds us agrees about this grace thing, nods its, nods its head and says, of course I come in through grace. The way in is grace. There's nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross. I cling. But religion stops there and says the way in is grace, but the way on is law. The way in is grace, yeah, but the way on is law. The way in is, is there's nothing I can do to get in, but when I'm in, I better flip and work hard at everything I've got to do because I've got to make it happen. I've got to fix it. I've got to solve it. I've got to mend it. I've got to heal it. And there is no freedom, and there is no life, and there is just judgment and restriction, and there is no joy. There is strive and drive and survive when there should be thrive. And I just rhymed. Somebody hold my Bible. No, no, no. For freedom to reign, the way in is the way on. The way in is the way on. If, if, if grace is the way in, then grace is the way on. If grace is the way in, then grace is the way on. If, if I'm really free to be who God created me to be, that's grace. If I'm really free to express my relationship with God as it fits the person that God created me to be, that's grace. If I'm free to grow in grace and free to float with grace, I'm free to give grace to other people. That, that, that. You know, grace is the USP of the Christian faith. Without grace, we don't have anything. But it's interesting that every single religion known to humanity is a religion of works except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single religion. Every other religion is a, is a religion of works. You've got to do something to, to earn it. Hinduism tells us that if we renounce the world and relate ourselves to the spirit of the universe, we will find our peace. It's not bad stuff. It's just not grace. Buddhism sets out eight principles by which humanity can walk and find themselves on the way to salvation. And if you check out those eight principles, most of them are pretty good principles and you wouldn't do bad to live your life by some of them. But it's not grace. It's not grace. You have to work at it. Judaism says you must keep the law absolutely and inflexibly and then you'll be saved. And the law is huge and the law will make you a slave. Islam says that the man, it usually is a man, must pray five times a day, give alms and fast on the month of Ramadan and obey the commands of Allah. Some of the commands of Allah are worth obeying, but it's not grace. It's all of works. Humanism says salvation is by service to humanity if it believes in salvation at all. And service to humanity is a really, really good thing. We want to say, yes, amen, to service to humanity, but it's not grace the gospel of Jesus Christ says you don't have to do it because he's done it. You don't have to earn it because you never could. <laughs> it's a gift of God. Listen very carefully. Any gospel that begins or has anywhere in it an implication that you need to earn it, make it, heal it, solve it, and fix it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and. Any theology of sanctification, any theology of how you grow in faith that has at the heart of it, you need to earn it, fix it, heal it, make it, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all of grace. The way in is the way on. The way in is the way on. It 
is all of grace. Wow. I'm going to lose my voice if I keep this up. And then Paul says this. He talks about freedom from a works-based religion. And he says it's all about grace. But he's very quick to suggest that it's not freedom to do and act and think just whatever you want to do and act and think. In, in other words, it's not crass, superficial freedom. It's, it's, listen carefully, it's freedom from false freedom and freedom to true freedom, which sounds nuts, but stay with me for just a moment and I'll, I'll, I'll try and explain. This is not just freedom to do what we like, this is freedom to do what he likes. And that's true freedom. This is not just freedom to do what you like, it's freedom to do what he likes. And that is true freedom. It is not freedom to live under the wrong authority, it's freedom to live under the right authority. It's freedom to choose to live under a different authority and a beautiful authority. And you say, Carl, why do I need to live under any authority at all? That just sounds like boundness and slavery. No, 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 no. you misunderstand again. Because, because Every single one of us, every single moment of every single day chooses to live under some authority, chooses to stand the weight of our life on some authority. We make a decision every single moment. Are we going to live by, by culture? Are we going to stand the weight of our life on what everyone else thinks about everything? And we're going to say, this is what we're going to think, and this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to act because everyone acts this way. Is it going to be culture? Is it going to be tradition? We're going to stand the weight of our life on what our parents did, what we've always done in our family, what we do in our nation, or, or are we going to stand the weight of our life on our reason, what we think at this precise moment is the right thing to do? Or are we going to stand the weight of our life on, on feelings, what we feel, or on our experience? No, no, no. The scripture says the only way to true freedom is to stand the weight of your life on the person of grace. I'm the king of kings and the lord of lords and decide not to live according to a false freedom but to live for a true freedom, not to live according to the kingdom of this world but to live according to the kingdom of our God. It is freedom to choose to live under his perfect and beautiful authority. And then so Paul sets this thing up. He says, I want you to be free from sin and I want you to be free for Glory. Check out verses, verse three and four. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us, free us, from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says this freedom is freedom from sin. Uh, we don't talk a lot about sin, so let me just spend a moment just explaining sin. Sin, sin is essentially, and I, I, I know this is not going to be a, 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 that helpful a description, so stay with me. Sin is, 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 help, is essentially a predisposition to serve ourselves and our desires over God and his desires. He's off. Sin, let me say that again. Sin is essentially a predisposition to serve ourselves and our desires over God and his desires. Sin, sin is to go our own way and do our own thing and put ourselves at the center of our universe. And sin in, in our culture and in our generation has become totally acceptable and institutionally protected. 
There's no, if there is any such thing as sin, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's so endemic, it's so in our, in our culture and in our society, the things that the scriptures call sin, that we just totally accept it and we just have at it any time we want. But, but Paul says he has rescued us from this evil age. This gospel is freedom to think differently and then to act differently. This gospel is freedom to serve the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world, not this evil age. Because this evil age sets up for us a whole bunch of philosophical understandings that sound good to us but ultimately kill us. So hedonism sounds great to us. Hedonism is the pursuit above anything else of pleasure. Just have what you want any old time. Do what you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else. It's going to be, it's going to be absolutely great. And then there's nothing in that that sounds bad. But actually what it creates is these illusions or mirages of glory that keep us unsatisfied, keep us grasping after something that can never satisfy us, but keep us from pursuing the one who has glory and who has satisfaction. But we're in it, hook, line, and sinker. For hedonism, ownership sounds, sounds great, doesn't it? I grew up in a, in a generation where they were selling off all the council houses and everyone had to own everything and it was, it was all about ownership and ownership was a good thing and it sounds like a really good thing until your hands that started off open like this in generosity, understanding that you were a steward of all things, not an owner of all things, started to become gnarled and ugly like this as you began to own things and the things that you possessed began to possess you. And this world has a grip on you. Pluralism sounds like a really good thing. It's definitely a politically correct thing. It's nice and it's fair. If all ways lead to God, that seems like a good thing to be talking about. And if you ever say it's a bad thing, you're you're certainly going to be vilified until you begin to realize there are fundamental contradictions in every single philosophy. Some has to be right, some have to be wrong. And worse than that, perhaps even more important, until you realize that the enemy of God has robbed us of the concept of truth and the reality of truth. If, if everything is truth, there is no truth. And if there is no truth, we have no trustworthy framework for our lives. And we don't know who we are. We don't know on what we're standing. And that's why people are standing on sinking sand the whole time and desperate for an anchor for their soul because we've been robbed of the concept of truth. It's this evil age that Paul is talking about. Individualism sounds plausible. How I, I grew up thinking you've got to look out for yourself. No one's going to look out for you. You've got to stand on your own two feet. You, you're, you're, you're taught to be independent and you're taught to, 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 to look after the individual. And it seems to be a really, really good concept until it becomes selfish when left to its own devices. And we have communities stolen from us and we don't know how to be neighbors and we're not sure how to be friends and we don't know how to be family anymore. And in the refugee crisis we now face... Our obsession with self-preservation means we're in danger of turning our backs on one of the greatest humanitarian disasters of our time. Religion. How can religion be a bad thing? It's It's set up to help us know God. But religion left to its own devices becomes the settling 
for all the forms of godliness with none of the power, none of the life, none of the fun, none of the freedom. And we live our lives by programs and courses and events and restrictions and committee and control when it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And what happens? I'm still ranting. And what happens is that generation after generation after generation build on these false authorities until they sink deeper and deeper into our cultural psyche until we get to the point when we call bad things good things and we just accept things as if they, that's just the way it is. And we're raising a generation today, my, my, my kids' generation, who, 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 who worship freedom or worship a freedom that is actually a bondage. What we do with our bodies and who we do it with is nobody else's business apart from ours. I'm free to do what I want any old time. This tells me it, this tells me it, this tells me it, and this tells me it. I don't even need to reference it. It's just, it's just there in the soil of our culture and it's killing us. And it's destroying us. And it's the evil age in which we live. What we watch with our eyes, what we, what we look at through, through the Sky TV or through the Virgin TV or through the box, whatever you've got, or on, on YouTube, or, 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 or I'm going to sound like an old man if I keep going. What we watch with our eyes is nobody else's business but ours. I'm free to do what I want any old time. And nobody will say right and wrong, and nobody will put a filter on it, but it's killing us. It's making us less of who God created us to be. It's the evil age in which we live. What, who we celebrate and who we try and emulate. No one else can speak into that. We celebrate and emulate and watch and make celebrity of whoever we want to make celebrity of. And we try and emulate their life because they're on TV a lot of the time. And I'm free to do what I want any old time and no one should say any different. And it's killing us. And nobody's doing anything about it. It's the evil age that Paul is talking about it. Paul, we're talking about, and Paul says there is a gospel of grace, of peace with God. Listen, he gave himself for our sins that we might be rescued from the corruption, strangulation, suffocation, drivenness, and authority of this evil age, of these institutional strongholds, freedom. He gave himself for us. And this is not cheap grace. He gave himself. It's free grace for you, but it's not cheap grace. It costs nothing to you. It costs everything for him. It costs the life of his dear son for you. That's how much he loves you, so that he might rescue you from this age, from these philosophies, from this way of living, from living according to the kingdom of this world, and that you might live for glory. That you might live for glory. Look at verse five. The creatures might listen to the creator again. That the children of God might live in step with the Father again, that we might be free 
to more personally and perfectly bear the image of God again, that we might be free to live for glory. That word glory is the Greek word doxa. It literally means the weighty goodness of God or the worthiness of God, that you and I could live for the weighty goodness of God and the worthiness of God. There's something in the way that we live, something in the way that we love, something in the way that we carry grace and understand grace can look like glory because it looks like God and gives him glory. That's freedom. That's freedom. And then Paul says this, verse one. Paul, an apostle of this gospel. That, that word apostle means sent one. It's used in the New Testament in a number of ways. It's used um, very specifically about a few people, about Peter and about Paul and a few others, who are specifically anointed and set apart to be apostles. But it's also used generally for people who are on a mission from God, sent by God to share grace with people. Listen, church. Listen well. We are made for freedom. And we are appointed for glory, but we are compelled to apostleship. We're made for freedom, not for boundness, not for misery, not for religion. We're appointed for glory that you might shine and look like Jesus, but we are compelled to apostleship. We're compelled to be the sent Ones who carry the grace and forgiveness and freedom of God. Not because we must, but because we may. Because there is good news out there that changes people's lives. Because there is a Father in heaven who loves us and has a plan for our lives that's better than the plan that any of us have for our lives. That he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. He's not, hate, he's not hating us, he is loving us us and the grace is a free gift of God you can't earn it you don't have to buy the lie anymore and we're called to share do you know I, I guess that each one of us have family and friends and neighbors and colleagues and people who live around us who have no concept of grace and probably have no chance of a concept of grace unless we shine with glory. Unless we get grace. Unless for us, the way in becomes the way on. That it's not there was a moment of grace and then we stop living grace and we start living restrictions and law and the dullness of religion. That there are people in our lives who have no chance unless we accept the commission to sentness. This is the gospel. We have a desperate world. We have people who are building on the foundations that they think are good but are actually broken. They're destroying this generation and will destroy the next generation unless someone shows them and tells them about grace. I, I told you a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday that I was Skyping a pastor from Malaysia who planted a church about 30, I think 38 years ago or something like that, that's grown to about 6,000 people. And, and uh, he's an evangelist and he was asking the Lord 
uh, for a target, which I know because we're British, we don't like, and we get all nervous around that stuff. And he said, Lord, I need a target for, um, for how many people should get saved through my life and my ministry this year. And he felt the Lord say 50. And then he said to the people who were listening into the Skype conversation, all you pastors, that, that does not include anybody who puts their hand up in any church service because that's not on you. It's on the people that brought them or just on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't count against your name. The only people that you get to count towards your name if you ever get to count, I'm not sure about my theology around this, but the only, the only people you get to count are the people that you personally invite, people you personally encounter, the people you personally share grace with. And he said, the Lord told me 50. And I got to Christmas Day and I'd only seen 48. So I asked the Lord, and, and I, I think he said, I got two or three, got two or three more, so I exceeded, I, I exceeded the total. So I, I kind of asked the Lord how many he, I kind of had a negotiation with the Lord. And I do this quite often. I said, Lord, what's, what's the number? And then we negotiated down. And, and we landed at, we went, went to 25, and then we went to 10. And, and you, you know, I'm ashamed of how little I communicate grace to people who are so desperate to know the grace of God. But 10 would be good, eh? There's, there's not one of us here who knows Jesus, who has experienced the grace of God, who is not sent. Not one of us. You don't have to have a special commissioning and some oil and someone dab something on your head and all that. You know, you, know you, you, you have a call of God to take what you've been given and share it with the people around you. In, in your workplace, in your family group, with your skills and with your gifts, that's, that's the call of God for you. What, what, if, what would it look like if everyone in this room said, you know what, the rest, whatever's left of 2000. And 16, I'm going to ask the Lord for one person. Just one person I get to communicate grace. One person I get to see the Lord change their life. Just a little bit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I was just asking um, the Lord before I stood up to speak, what is it? How do you want me to land the plane, God? <laughs> How do you want me to land the plane? What, where do you want us to go with this? And um, I think there are three things that are really important that the Lord wants to say this evening. There are some of you here tonight that know you don't get grace. You, you know you've never got grace. I don't know why you're here, but, but you've been brought here by grace. Uh, but you know you don't get grace and you're desperate. You're desperate to know Jesus. And you're desperate to stop striving and driving. And you're desperate to know the grace of God in your life. The forgiveness of God. Peace with God. And if, if that's you, just let me, let me lead you in a prayer right now. Everyone else will be patient and wait for their turn. But if that's you, you know it's you. There's no pressure here. No one's going to be looking or watching, and any hand up doesn't count to my tally anyway. But if, if you want 
to know grace tonight, why don't you just lift your hand and I want to pray for you and you can pray in, in your heart and you can be different. You can know God tonight in a way that you've never known God before. Just raise your hand and I'll pray with you and for you. Every other head is bowed, so it's just you and me. Just raise your hand and, and I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Bless you. Yeah, bless you. Get your hand up, thank you. Okay, you can put your hand down. Let's just pray. And, and, and if that was you, the, the three or four, just pray this prayer in your heart now. Jesus, I believe you. I, I, I don't get it all, but I want to follow you with every part of my life. Would you come in with your grace? And would you change everything? Would you wash me with your love? Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you come in now and be my leader, my friend, and my savior? I mean this. I want your grace. I want your grace. Amen. Amen. We're going to, uh, there are two other groups of people that I just want, I felt the Lord say it would be good to, um, to pray for this evening. One group is just probably the majority of us who know Jesus who just would love to know more boldness, more courage, more of the grace of God flowing out of our lives. So we were not fearful of humanity but we were compelled by grace to live large the kingdom of God. So I, if, if that's you, and I, I suspect that maybe, we, we, we did this a couple of weeks ago, but I suspect there are a few more of you that would love to know, would love to know more of, of the courage and boldness of the kingdom of God. And we'd just love to pray for you. If that is you, when we start singing and worshiping, you're gonna come stand in this, what, you have to watch me now. So come and stand in this quadrant here, and uh, I'm gonna get someone to come, some guys to come and pray for you. But there's a final group that I wanna pray for tonight. And that is uh, some, some of you who just know that the philosophies of this evil age have got into your heart and into your life to the point when you feel dirty and corrupted and messed up and you want freedom. And you're done with, with, with living with a lack of purity in your life some of the things that you watch, some of the things that you've done, some of the things you've allowed to happen with your body. You just want to know the forgiveness of God and the freedom of God and the cleansing of God and the healing of God. You need to know this. His grace is here tonight and it frees and it forgives and it changes lives. And you can leave here new and different, totally different. So there's no shame here. We're friends. This is a safe place to do business with God. So if that's you, and as I was talking about, about hedonism, and as I was talking about materialism, and I was talking about ownership, all those things that just corrupt our lives, and you know that was you, then, then you come and get free tonight of some of that stuff, and we'd love to pray for you. Um, Scott and Faith are going to be over here, and they're going to lead a team to pray for that. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, God, <laughs> and, and a few others. Nikki's going to be here as well. We're, going to, we're just going to pray for some of those things. So the band are going to come lead us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for grace. And we ask that you just lead us in grace. Speak to our hearts. Heal us. Save us. Transform us. Give us courage. 
ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.